Bible, please open it to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. As a kid, I was subject to my parents' discipline, like many of you are today or you were when you were a kid. And in the moment of the discipline, I didn't like it, nor did I ever think I deserved it, like many of you feel today or have felt in the past. Uh, I remember one time as a kid, I had my mom chasing me around the bed because uh, she was going to try to discipline me for something I did wrong, so I was going to try to escape from it. And so we were in this cat and mouse game, you know, like this here. <laughs> and I tried to talk my way out of it. I made promises. I'm never going to do it again. I won't ever do it again, Mom. Just let me pass this one time. But in the end, of course, I lost the game. I had to unwittingly embrace my mother's discipline. And I think the same is true sometimes when it comes to God's discipline in our life. We have to embrace it. And sometimes that may be unwillingly. Because remember, he is a father who disciplines as well. He is. And this is the final aspect of his fatherhood that we all have to embrace. And yet it's the hardest thing about him to embrace. We know the grace, the love, the mercy. We, we, we love those. But the discipline aspect of his love is the hardest to embrace. Because hardships and, and difficulties, they, they often make us feel that God is punishing us, that he doesn't like us, that he's hating on us for some reason. They may even make you feel that he doesn't love you at those moments. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever thought those thoughts? I know as a kid I did. I thought my mom disciplined me. I didn't feel loved by her at all or my dad. But like every child to his or her parent, believers are subject to God's discipline as well. None of us get a free pass. You know, we can't bargain our way out. We can't hide. We can't run. We can't play the cat and mouse game with them. His discipline falls on all of his sons and daughters. We have to embrace it, even if it's unwillingly. You see, when my mother disciplined disciplined me that time, it, 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 it was motherly in nature. You see, it was motherly. It was not hate. It was not abuse. I wasn't suffering injustice. And God's fatherly discipline is fatherly in nature to you. It's not punishment. It's not him hating on you. So you can embrace it as such in your relationship with him. And this is what the author is calling us to do here in verses 4 through 6, where he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, he reproves, when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we give you glory that this is your truth. That this is not the opinion of man. This is just not something that is just made up. Not something that's 
we just got out of just any book, but it's the very, your very word, Father, that you spoke, that you used, that you inspired these authors to write your very word on these pages. And help us to know, Father, that this is just not opinions. This is just not good suggestions. That this is not self-help. But this is food. Food for our soul, Father. The very word of our God spoken to us. And we need it. We all need a word from you. We all need your truth to be spoken into every inch and crack of our life. Into those dark places. Into those places that we hide from other people. We need the light of your word to shine there brightly today. And we, it won't happen if your spirit doesn't move. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just a man. And that's all I'm ever going to be. And these words that I'm going to preach have no power if your spirit does not move in our hearts. If he doesn't come today and work in my heart, for I'm a sinner, I fall short, I need it. So soften our hearts, Father. Soften our hard hearts today so that we can receive a good word from you and so we can go back out and engage in this world one more week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God is a father who disciplines his sons and daughters. And as a child, you must embrace it. First, you must embrace it in your struggle against sin. Believers must embrace God's fatherly discipline in their struggle against sin. Now, I want you to also keep in mind that when a person surrenders her life to Christ, through faith and repentance, she has been set free from sin's dominion. She's no longer enslaved to sin. And sin is that's not the, the external things that we struggle with, like materialism, adultery, or stealing, whatever those external manifestations are. Sin is much deeper than that, but it's also internal. And this is very important when you live in the Bible Belt. Because in the Bible Belt, we simply view sin as external things that we do and don't do. But sin is here, inside our heart. Our pride, hate, jealousy, those internal sins. And the good news is that Jesus grants free pardon and forgiveness for your real sins. Past, present, future sins. And the words of one old hymn says, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. In Christ, your sin is no longer counted against you. And this is true for all of you who have saving faith in Jesus. And what I mean by saving faith is that you have surrendered your life to him. And you depend on him. You trust in him. You just don't believe things about him. You have a personal walk with him. That's saving faith. Now what is also true about believers is that we still struggle with sin. That is also true. That is also a reality. 
that forgiven believers still struggle with sin. Now, we don't live sinless lives. I don't live a sinless life. I don't. We all struggle. And, and then the hard reality is that you know some believers. Some that have been, been in your family and friends that you know they have sinned in horrible ways. And some of you may have sinned in horrible ways. Because none of us are, are sprayed down with a sin repellent. As if we're, you know, I don't face, sin is not, I'm not faced by sin anymore. I'm perfect. That is not true. None of us are. We're all subject to fall. We sin and we sin against other people. And think about it. Even within the church, Christians commit adultery. I'm not even talking about the pagans in the outside world. I'm talking about in the church. People who say they know Jesus. There's adultery. There's pride. People lie. They cheat. They gossip. They slander one another. Watch things on the internet and TV that we shouldn't watch. And some of us even can have even racist and prejudiced views in our own heart. And how, why is that? As believers, why, can, how is, why is that true? Because in each of us, we still have a sinful nature that Paul talks about in Romans. A sinful nature that, that causes us to wander away from God the Father and his lordship over us. We all have that sinful nature. If it's in self-righteousness or unrighteousness, we still have it. We can simply be so disobedient at times. So that's true for those who are believers. But what is also true that the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. There's true realities for the believer now in Christ. You struggle with your sinful nature still, but God's Spirit still lives in you. And so with the Spirit living in you, that means something is new about you that wasn't there before. Because Jesus has now, in his Spirit, has given you a new way to deal with your sin struggle. He said, well, what does that look like, Alice? What, what, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Now in Jesus, there is now a conviction that wasn't there before. There is now a confession that wasn't there before. There is now a repentance that wasn't there before. And there is now a hatred of your sin that wasn't there before. A godly sorrow, a new desire to live differently. And the author implies this in verse 1 when he calls you to lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely. Only believers can do that. Only believers who have a new view of sin can, can lay sin aside that clings so closely. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you still know sin can sometimes feel like a heavy weight, a burden upon your shoulders. Yeah, you, you know you've been forgiven of it. You know Jesus loves you. But you still feel the weight of the sin that you struggle with at times. We all do. Clinging to us like nagging flies that we can't let fan out of the way. We feel that. The author says he knows this reality. And he encourages you to lay it aside to lay it aside, whatever that may be. And what does that mean? It means don't hide your sin. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to pretend you have no sin. 
You don't have to live in denial over it. You don't have to walk around with a defeated spirit when you sin. He says instead, resist sin in your struggle against it. Resist it. Verse 4 says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. As believers, you resist sin by proactively fighting against it. Fighting against it. The image you have in verse 4 is that of, of two boxers in the boxing ring fighting. You know, left hook, a jab, body shot, uppercut. And fighting against sin is sometimes like being in the boxing ring. In the boxing ring, in a fight. In a fight. And how do you fight against it? Through conviction. You fight against sin through conviction. That's a godly sorrow of your sin. You fight against your sin um, through confession. That is, you just acknowledge it. Acknowledge the fact, yes, I sinned. Yes, I own it. I made a mistake. And then you fight against it through repentance. Asking for forgiveness. And deciding to turn away from it. Remember, Jesus changes the way you now deal with your sin and respond to it. You fight against it in these ways. But we know in such a fight, sometimes you get knocked down. In the boxing fight, sometimes you get hit with a hook or uppercut that knocks you around the mat. The point is that sometimes you give in to sin as you're fighting against it. Sometimes you give in to it. Sometimes you do things you shouldn't do. You say things you shouldn't say. Right? Yes. And what comes from that are consequences. Consequences. Look at what happened to Ray Rice. A former running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Got caught on camera punching his girl fiance in the face. And now he's living with consequences of that sin. He got lost his job, probably lost his career. And not only that, think about the fiance. She's a victim of domestic violence, evil and heinous crime. And she's living with the hardship of being an abused woman. You see, our sin has consequences. They do. They bring consequences into our life. And some consequences are tougher than others. And some of you can testify to that. And some of you know believers who are dealing with consequences from their sins. And, and the hardest thing for us to sometimes accept is the reality that God's grace does a lot, but it does not eliminate consequences for our sin. We still have to deal with it. There are certain things that, that if you do, there are going to be hard consequences you have to deal with. God's going to still love you. You still be forgiven of it, but there will be a consequence. There will be. His grace can help you get through it, but you're going to have to walk through that hardship. And consequences and hardships from our sin can make us feel like God is punishing us. It can make us feel like he's hating us, that he's condemning us, that he's pouring out his wrath upon us, that he's judging us, that he's forsaken us. But in those moments, we can't trust our feelings because our feelings are not always reality. They're not always reflective of what is true. What is true is what God says in his word. Regardless of how we feel, his word says he loves us. His word says he's faithful to us, even when we're faithless. But sometimes you don't feel it. 
because of what you're going through. Can't trust your feelings often in the midst of hardships. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. These words should lead you to remember that in your present struggle against sin, your blood has not been shed as payment for those sins. Think about that. God has not demanded payment for those sins. For He's not shedding your blood. Those words should also point you back to Jesus, to look at what he did upon the cross, to look at what he did upon his life. And a few weeks ago, I said that Jesus has completely changed the way God the Father deals with the sins of his people. He changed the way you deal with it, and he's also changed the way God deals with your sins. Because at the cross, God punishes Jesus for your sins. Your past, present, and future sins. At the cross, he poured out wrath. At the cross, he judged. At the cross, he convicted. All upon Jesus. And so now when you struggle with sin, it's not those things. It's discipline. It's a big difference between discipline and condemnation. God is not condemning you. He's disciplining you. He condemned Jesus to death for your sins. So he doesn't have to do that to you. Please know that. You've got to see that. Because if you don't see that, if you ever commit a heinous sin, and you've got consequences that come from it, it's gonna, you're going to feel like God is judging you. That he's punishing you. That he's condemning you not. He's not. That was for Jesus. You get divine folly discipline in the struggles against sin. You have to embrace it. Young kids sometimes have a hard time understanding the concept of discipline. They do. And so as parents, you have to explain to them why they're being disciplined. You have to explain it to them. Because even when you do it right, they still misunderstand it. They still misinterpret. Even when you do it right and you're not doing it out of anger, they still think you hate them or not liking them. They still misinterpret it. You still seen it as the mean parent. And you know, after I discipline my kids, I, 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 I always go in, sit beside them after a few minutes, and ask them this question: Do you know why you got disciplined? Do you know why? Usually they'll tell me why, and if they don't, then I explain it to them. And finally, after, after that, I tell them, I love you, and I'm proud of that you are my son and daughter. You see, all kids struggle to understand discipline. So we have to help them understand it. The same is true of you as God's child. You struggle to understand it. You struggle to make sense of it. Because, again, it doesn't feel like love. It doesn't feel like concern. It feels like what? It feels like punishment. It feels like judgment. And sometimes the thought that hurts. And so if that's where you are this morning, that's okay. Because guess what? God, your Father, is here to help you understand discipline. To help you grow to embrace it if you struggle to understand it. Verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? Think about what this author is asking his, the original readers here. 
because they're struggling with hardships. They're going through stuff. And his question then to them is, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son he receives. The answer to that question is that, yes, we forget this exhortation, this encouragement. We do. You have to remember that this exhortation is only addressed to sons and daughters. And you have to embrace it as you, as you struggle to understand God's discipline. And here the author speaks of two responses that we have to God's discipline. It can be either a response of indifference or it could be a negative emotional response. The first response is the one of, of indifference where he says, Stop regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. Stop regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be indifferent to it. And if you're indifferent to something, if you think lightly of something, that means you see it has very little value in your life. Very little value. Because we know God's grace has value. We know his mercy has value. We know all those has value. But what about the discipline? Do you view discipline the same way you view grace? But here's the thing. Grace is discipline. Love is discipline, too. And so the, the author here is saying, don't, back, don't, don't think about it lightly. Don't have this lightly response about it. Don't make little of it. Don't see it as unimportant. And, and, and I did this as a child. I think we all did it as a child. When we get to that place where we think lightly of our parents' discipline, where we say, well, I ain't going to cry. I ain't going to cry. Oh, that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. No. I'm hold, you know, they'll hold back the tears so that they give you the satisfaction of seeing it. Because what, the point is that they want to prove they are not phased by the discipline. I'm not phased by it. I'm going to buck up against it. You can spank me. You can do all that. I'm not going to cry. And we, you can have that same attitude with God's discipline. Pretending like you're not phased by the hardship. I'm not going to cry. It ain't, I'm not phased. I'm good. And the author is saying, don't do that. Admit it hurts. Admit it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's just good to cry. Because some hardships make you do that. Don't be, don't be indifferent to God's discipline. Instead, embrace it as you struggle to understand it. The Old Testament uh, passage of this verse, because this verse is taken from Proverbs 3, it says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. We all know what despises means. It means, you know, don't hate it. Don't look down. Or don't, don't hold it in contempt. Don't disrespect it. Don't see it as worthless. It's his point. Don't try to avoid it. Don't run away from it. Because if you despise something, you want to avoid that at all costs. So I'm not going to deal with that. But the author's telling you, don't do that. Don't run away from it. Don't try to escape it. You have to embrace it. Because remember, I, I tried to run from my mother's discipline. Eventually, she caught me. So, <laughs> and I had to give in. Even though I made promises not to ever do it again. I crossed my heart, hope to die, Mom. I'm not going to do it again. But I still had to receive the discipline. 
And the same is true with God in your life. You, you, even if you despise it, even if you try to run away with it, even if you see it as worthless, you can't escape it. We all are subject to it. We all are. Our second response, he says, do not be weary when reproved by the Lord. Again, he's telling you to stop responding this way. And this deals with our negative emotional response to it. Don't be weary when reproved by the Lord. This means you should not be discouraged. You should be discouraged by it. For God's discipline is not meant to make you lose heart. His discipline is not meant to wound your self-worth. Please know that. It's not his intent to wound your dignity when he disciplines you. That's not his purpose. It's not to beat you down to the place where you just can't go on. He doesn't want you to lose motivation. But here's the thing. If you don't see it through Christ, it will lead you to that. If you don't understand what he he did to Jesus for you, then every time you go through a trial, every time you go through a hardship, you're going to feel like God hates your guts, that he's just stomping on you. That's how you're going to feel. If you don't see it through Christ, a wrong view of God's discipline will lead you to throw your hands up in the air and say, man, I just can't win for losing. I give up. I can't win for losing. I can't get ahead. Every time I take two steps forward, I got to take three steps back. Things never work out for me. Roadblocks always in my way. You'll be weary. Your soul will be in despair. Because you believe God has finally abandoned you and left you alone. But none of that is true. We all struggle with these things in our life. But remember the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters. Remember that. Do you remember the way in which we fight against sin, conviction, confession, repentance? You know God's discipline is another way too. That's another way he's given you for your fight against sin. And we all need that. Author Brian Chapel says, nine times in Hebrews 12, the term for discipline refers to correction and training of a child. It includes not only reaction to wrong, but also preparation for future challenges and character development. Think about that. The, cha- the training and correction of a child. That is what God's discipline is for. That is what it's for. The goal, for, the goal of God's discipline and reproof is, is for correction. It's for education. That's what it's for. It's to train you, to improve you, not to beat you down. The question is for you is, do you believe it? That's what it always goes back to. Do you believe it? And if you're in a state of unbelief, ask him to help your unbelief. Ask him to help your unbelief. Sam Bolton, I read this quote a few weeks ago. He says, God's discipline is medicine, not punishment. Medicine, not punishment. Chastisement, not sentence. Correction, not condemnation. 
but do you believe it? And you won't believe it if you don't see it through Jesus first. If you don't see it through Jesus, you won't ever get to the place where you can embrace God's discipline in your life. Because if you take Christ out of the equation, it's going to always be punishment for you. It's important that you see it through Jesus. This exhortation in verses 5 and 6 is from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And for some of you, you should, the light switches should be going off because last week, uh, Reverend Bill Nash preached from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. And if you remember Bill's sermon last week, he encouraged us to trust in the Lord's will and work it in your life. And we had to surrender and submit to it. And in the, in, in the exhortation in, in Hebrews 12 is from that same proverb, from that, in that same context. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and acknowledging him in all his ways also means you embrace his discipline in your life, even when you don't understand it. Even when you're laying down on the mat, you say, Lord, I trust you. Here, even if I don't understand it. Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. When you begin to see discipline through the lenses of Christ, your path will become straighter. Christ was punished for your sins. The sins that you struggle with, the sin you feel like you can't ever get free from, Jesus was punished for that sin. Please hold on to that. He was punished. He was judged. Wrath poured down from on God upon him. Crushed for your inequity. Went to the grave for it. Real sin. Sins you will commit today, sins you commit tomorrow, sins you may commit ten years from now. Jesus died for them all. And the hardships and consequences that are coming to your life for your sins is discipline, not wrath. Discipline. And my prayer for you and myself that you will understand that. It took me a long time to get to a place where I understood this. I still got a lot to learn. But once you begin to understand that, it sets you free from a lot of guilt and shame. When you begin to understand it, what God is doing in your life now. Christ was punished. You disciplined. And those two separate different things. Two very separate different things. And my prayer is that we begin to see that in Christ. Let us pray. Father, I know that it's always easy to preach a sermon like this when you're not in the midst of discipline. So, for something. But it's, we need to hear this when, we need, when we're in that place. Because we go in and out of it. And my prayer is that when, when we go through a, a phase of discipline and correction from you, that, Lord, we will remember these words, Father. That it's, this is fatherly. That God is not hating me. God is not abandoning me. God is not judging me. He's disciplined me as I would discipline my own child. And, and it doesn't feel good. But it's for my good. My feelings sometimes betray us, Lord. Help us to see truth in the midst of difficulties. Help us to see truth in the midst of our hardships. 
Help us to know that you are always faithful, Father. And that means in the midst of trial. That means on the mountaintops of life and in the valleys of life. You're always faithful. But help our unbelief. That's our problem. That's my problem. I don't believe. How circumstantial belief. When life is good, you're good. But when life gets bad, oh my goodness, God has left me. No, you never leave. I leave. Bring me back. Bring me back. Because you're always there. And I pray that for all of us, Lord, as we go out, engage another week, our jobs, our families. Help us to go out knowing that you are in our corner. And that when trials come, we are not alone. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service? His love endures forever. Amen.